All right, all right. What is up, everybody? My name is Lauren Coletti. Welcome to the Sex Positive Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm sending so much hugs and love out to everyone now that we've reached over 10,000 listeners, and I'm really excited about this. Also, happy October. I love, love, love the fall time. It is such a magical time of year for me, super nostalgic. And with that, at the same time, it is October. So it is a bittersweet month for me. As many of you know, it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Domestic violence is something I speak very openly and honestly about on my show because I can. And I truly, truly believe that I was put on this earth to help educate and inspire others who have been through domestic violence and interpersonal traumas of that nature. So with this episode, uh, I'm doing a part two for my poetry reading. So a little bit of backstory. I did part one about a week or two ago. I will try to link that in the show notes. It was a really fun episode to record didn't feel like work at all. And I'm not saying that this is work or this is begrudging for me, um, but it was just probably one of my favorite, most favorite episodes to record. And I published my first book in 2019, Trauma, Tears, and Triumph. In 2020, I published Trauma, Tears, and Triumph Volume 2. And last year, I published Chasing Boys, and I will be publishing my fourth poetry book in 2022, which I'm really excited about. And for, to honor, rather, Domestic Violence Awareness Month, I will be reading some more poems from my newest book that will be coming out in 2022. And I really loved the feedback and the response I got from my last poetry reading. So I figured why not just read the rest of the book if I can. Um, It's 100 pages so far. We were on page 44. So I'll see, um, keeping time in mind, I like to keep my solo episodes 30 minutes or below. And um, I wanted to just read this because a lot of my poetry is inspired by my own mental health challenges, my internal struggles, and my healing from my abusive relationship. And some of my poems are uh, pertaining to abuse. And I think as a survivor, our voice and the collective impact we can make through storytelling and speaking our truth is just so powerful. So I feel like with my writing, with my poems, I am making a impact, which I would like to see on a broader scale, but I do what I can for now. And with that, we will get started. But I also wanted to just say that during the month of October, any book sales, I will donate 50% of that to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence in honor of Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I thank you so much again for listening. If you enjoyed my poems, please reach out to me. Um, You can find me on Sex Positive Podcast on Instagram. I also have a website and we'll just get started. All right, let's do this. Further ado, the last section we left off at is healing, the healing part. My book is split up into four different parts and we will just get started. So this poem, it's it's very short excerpts. A lot of these poems are just thoughts or excerpts that come into my mind throughout the day. And this one is titled 5 a.m., 11 p.m. 
If you fall out of love with someone, were you ever really in love in the first place? Therapy sessions. Fearful avoidant. Why am I so sure when I'm with him, yet so uncertain when we're apart? Deflated. Missing persons. I've always wondered why, regardless of how much I disappear, no matter how many pounds I lose, it's still never enough. Maybe it's because deep down I don't want to exist at all. That poem was written about my struggle with my body image and dealing with body dysmorphia and eating disorders. Bulletproof. He tells me he loves me, but I think to myself, you don't even know me at all. You see, I've built up so many protective layers because I fear if anyone were to ever get to the center, none of them would stay. I put on the bulletproof vest a little too late. So that poem, interestingly enough, is about me being a fearful avoidant, um, which was a poem two titles ago, but a fearful avoidant attachment style. So after we get out of an abusive relationship or any type of toxic dynamic where we've been taught that we're unlovable or we're unworthy or we're too much of something, you know, I'd I'd like to believe that leaving the relationship, breaking the unhealthy pattern is the hardest part. And that is a beautiful place to start. That is more than enough. However, for me, I found that the healing thereafter, the learning to love again, and more importantly, equally receive that love has been extraordinarily challenging for me. So that was about my experience with that. Dysthymia, I've had this sadness living inside me for as long as I can remember. And I don't know where it came from, but when it's gone, I'm not really sure who I am. That is written about the ways in which we entrap ourselves inside of a certain identity. For me, that has been with my mental illness. I feel like when the sadness, the depression lifts, I'm like, who who even am I? So that was about that. Russian roulette. Sometimes we stay out of pity, guilted into a situation in which we are the sacrificial lamb, feeding off denial and obligatory bullshit, putting them first while denying our own needs, contorting ourselves to fit their mold, convincing our mind this will suffice for now. I had to learn that you are never responsible for another person's happiness. You try to protect them by staying, but sometimes leaving is the kindest thing you can do. You deserve to be happy too. And I will read that again. You are never responsible for another person's happiness. You deserve to be happy too. I wrote that about a girlfriend when she was in a seemingly unhappy relationship. And and often we feel so guilty to leave that we obligate ourselves to stay in a situation that's no longer serving us. Reconciliation. The moment I chose healthy love instead was the moment I chose to break the cycle, a corrective experience. That's what I see my current relationship as. I don't know if it's a transitional relationship, um, but I do know that it is a corrective experience, choosing healthy love instead of what is familiar, what might be comfortable, even though it is super uncomfortable because it's familiar, it's what we know. We break the cycle by taking opposite action.
one foot out the door. And I can't help it, but I have this bad habit of wanting people more the less they want me. So overthinking about you. Soul speak. If my soul could speak, it would say, they all claim to be real friends, but all I see are fake friends, only coming around when it's convenient for them. None reliable enough if you ever really needed them. I could count on one hand the amount of people who genuinely give a fuck. So I realized I don't really have friends. I only have people I spend time with. I see your true colors and they aren't so bright. I wrote this during a time I was really struggling with my interpersonal relationships. um, And I found that it was super interesting for me to observe my own behavior in the fact that, okay, I'm out of this abusive relationship, yet I am in relationships with friends or platonic relationships that I feel I'm being bullied. I feel are um, uneven. I feel that I'm always making the effort. I feel it's unreciprocated. So it's interesting how these dysfunctional, dare I say, relationships can morph, not just through romantic sense, but throughout our lives as well. And it's really teaching me this year has been a big lesson to assert myself, to stand up for myself and to communicate my needs and just feel like my needs matter. Um, I was watching Sex Education, an amazing show. If you're listening to my podcast, Sex Positive Podcast, you would love Sex Education on Netflix. And one of the characters, she's so cute, I would totally be her best friend, Amy, said something along the lines of, you know, I hate fighting so much. So to avoid conflict, I just lie and tell people what they want to hear because that's easier for me than getting into an argument. And I just a hundred percent felt that. This next piece is called Indigo Child. My body is porous. I am a human sponge. Growing up, they tried to medicate my sensitivities away. I was always told you feel too much. You're a drama queen. You over-exaggerate. They would patronize me for being overly emotional and it felt safer to live in my head than to exist in the real world. Labeled an outsider, never quite fitting in, I've always felt more connected to animals and nature over humans. I could never tell whether emotions were my own or someone else's. It never took much to feel overwhelmed, overloaded, and everything to bring me back down. Friends would take it personally without realizing how quickly I am depleted, a heart so empathic, always attracting people who would break it. But what I deemed a curse, I now see as my greatest blessing. Yes, you may be different, Indigo Child, but you are oh so special. Protect your energy. I love that poem so much. Damn, girl. I gotta say, um, sometimes I read these words and I'm like, did I write that? Like, mm, I'm impressed. But anyway, that was just about my experience being an empath, being a highly sensitive introvert, and sometimes how isolated and alone we can feel in that. But really, what a beautiful, beautiful gift it is to have that much empathy and be that much, be that sensitive and compassionate to other beings around us. Gumdrops and lollipops. (laughs) His lips taste like sugar, his fingertips honey, his skin like molasses, his heart cotton candy. He has the sweetest soul I've yet to meet. 
Termination, a woman's world. And woman, the W-O in woman, is in parentheses. Trigger warning for this poem, although a lot of my poems I always say my entire show, I don't give trigger warnings. Um, I believe it's important to be attentive and considerate of others' needs, but I know life does not come with a trigger warning. And my entire podcast, we talk about very triggering or activating stuff. So anyway, this poem is written about abortions. So I will proceed. There are countless people who are parents that shouldn't be on their righteous horse because they carried to term, all the while raising children in a home with neglect, bigotry, and violence, narcissism a la sexual exploitation, poverty, and dysfunction, raising the next ignorant generation of abusers and entitled sociopaths. Yet they try to tell me that I'm the problem because I won't bring a child into this misogynistic world. Being mentally ill, unwilling, and unequipped is apparently not an adequate reason. So expel me if I won't raise a baby I can't provide for. And if shaming me brings you closer to heaven, they say Jesus can't love me if I've had an abortion, but he could love a criminal, a cheater, an addict, He could happily forgive the batterer and the patriarchy because it's a man's world, isn't it? Get out of here with that self-righteous bullshit. If God could love those who judge, then he can love me. Don't throw stones while living in a glass house because I don't take it back and I'd do it again if I had to. My body, my choice. Sorry, not sorry. Mic drop. I am a feminist poet after all. Rookie mistake. It's not the loving him that hurts. It's not the loving him. Ooh, no, no girl. Mm -mm. It's not the loving him that hurts. It's the not loving him the way he deserves. The way that I could. And the worst part is he's too infatuated to notice. He cares the way I wish I would. I cared when I shouldn't have, and now I can't care at all. I had to start over for that one. I precisely remember writing this poem. I was in the gym, and I was observing myself, looking at my boyfriend, and I just felt so disconnected. I could cry because I say to Nick, (laughs) and now since we have broken up uh, about a month ago, I... I don't really know how true, how much weight this holds anymore, but I said, I am not scared of hurting, of you hurting me. I'm scared of me hurting you. The only thing that would hurt me more than you hurting me is me hurting you. So I felt so dissociated for a long time in this relationship. And I think it was a self-protective defense mechanism um, as someone that has experienced trauma and abuse I felt like if I had one foot out the door, if I didn't care, then when it quote unquote went wrong, it all went bad, that it would hurt less. And I've recognized that it really doesn't do me or him a disservice and it's simply not true. This next poem is called Night Picnic. Porcelain skin and cherry red lips. She was the ethereal orb that lit up my sky. She once talked of our future, and us that would travel the world. 
She wanted to make me her wife, but I pulverized her dream. So now she's living that fantasy with somebody else. I wrote this poem about a woman that I had very strong feelings for. Uh, We were together for, I wanna say a year. She was an amazing, beautiful soul and I hurt her and I take accountability for that because once again, I was scared and I forget exactly what inspired me to write that, but I am sorry if she was listening and I am really happy for you that you found someone that could make you happy and can give you what I couldn't. And I think that's what I love so much about myself is, um, I've always said I've never been one to quite admire my physical qualities, but I have this sort of radical acceptance, radical forgiveness uh, mindset. I actually paired with the Alms app to make a challenge on this, but I don't see the point in harboring ill feelings towards my exes. They were a part of my life. They were people that I spent time with and got to know on perhaps an intimate level and they serve their purpose. And hopefully we both taught each other lessons. So I really just send light and love and admiration to my exes. And I think it's important sometimes, you know, as long as something very traumatic didn't happen to just wish them well and wish them away and just set people free. That's all they can do. So I think underlying deep down, that's what that poem was about. Indifference, despondent. If I'm being real, sometimes I feel a little too tainted, a bit too skeptical to love the way I could before. And I don't think it's better or worse. I just think it's different because it's not that I don't want it to work, but I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't. It's not that I don't care, but that I'm a little too indifferent. The problem isn't that I don't trust him. The problem is I don't trust myself. Am I protecting us or ruining us? This is a very big common theme of the book. If you read Chasing Boys, kind of the prequel to this book, it was about when I first met Nick and falling in love. And then this book is about, well, the new relationship energy, the honeymoon periods kind of died down. We've been together for about a year. For me, the honeymoon um, period does not last very long in a relationship. I would say for me, after about three months, I feel very comfortable. And this book really is about learning to love and be patient with ourselves after we've been hurt before. I think that's the main theme of this book. I'm not sure how to love, but I'm not sure I know how to fall in love without falling apart. Mm -hmm. True. (laughs) I want to let everyone know, by the way, um, the internal strength you have. Just recognize it. Just acknowledge it. If you're at this point, if you've been scarred or burned in the past and you are here again, trying to love, trying to be open and willing and ready. I don't want you to force yourself, but I want you to just recognize how brave you are, how much courage it takes to put our heart on the table and say, I don't know if this will work out, but I'm willing to try. Biggest act of courage, in my opinion. So yes, I still love you and no, I don't want you back.
hate to love you, love to hate you. You were never quite capable of loving me the way you loved yourself. But then again, maybe the reason you hated me so much was because I reminded you of everything you couldn't love in yourself. You hated how much I loved you. That poem really rings true. Um, I wrote that about my narcissistic boyfriend, X, the very abusive relationship I was in. And I think part of me, I did so much I could on my end to try to fix and salvage and save the relationship. Eventually, after about a year, I was just like, you know, I've changed everything about myself in hopes that he would love me more, love me better, in hopes that he wouldn't be abusive, in hopes he would change. And he didn't. And I had to realize that we cannot fix or change or heal someone. We cannot be someone's savior. And if someone isn't capable of loving themselves, they will often project that onto us and take their insecurities out on us. And it is not your fault. Just so you know. Pandora's box. If I'm being honest, sometimes life feels more like a punishment than anything else. And I have no explanation other than it seems like I'm paying for mistakes from a previous life that I don't even remember making as if in this life I'm repenting for my past sins. Maybe the reason I'm not afraid to die is because I've never lived. A pretty like gloom and doom poem, if I do say so myself. This year, a big um, roadblock, a big hurdle I had to come to terms with and learn to just trust and have faith and give up by the good grace of God was being unemployed. And for many people, at least Americans, if you were laid off by your job in COVID, um, I, I've never been like chronically unemployed until this year, but I was not able to get any unemployment. I know Americans, some people were receiving $600 a week, some were receiving over a thousand. I did not have any source of income for a solid like nine months and it really took its toll on me and I went into a deep, dark depression and I felt hopeless, I felt desperate, I felt rejected because I was going on a job interview a day applying to hundreds of jobs and it was just crickets and I felt like not good enough. So I had a pretty bad spell of depression in the winter this year and I think it portrays and it's pretty obvious in some of these poems (laughs) just that emptiness and I had to eventually learn to just let go surrender it and when I kind of didn't care anymore I was just kind of doing my own thing and I had released that need that's when the job came as it always does (laughs) self-quarantine I never had to quarantine to be alone, because if I'm being honest, I didn't need to go into lockdown to become isolated. I always feel the most secluded when I'm with other people. He was my winter in July. You are my summer in November. He doesn't just fuck me. He penetrates my soul. I feel God when he's inside of me. Damn. I dreamt of watching the sweet sunrise on a warm beach off the coast of Carolina. A simple life, a southern smile. I thought we watched the sunset, tailgate in the back of your black Tacoma. 
A blanket of stars, fingers through my sunburnt hair, drunken sleepless nights, your golden hour eyes slipped through my fingers. And tonight I'm having a funeral to lay to rest the dreams that are a little too far out of reach. So rest in peace, what will never be mine. I have to let go of the life I thought I was meant for me, was meant for me in order to accept the life that's actually mine. This poem I wrote when I was taking a walk. I remember writing this poem. And at 27 years old, getting emotional here, I feel at this point in my life more confused than I think I ever have in my entire 27 years of existence. Sometimes we have this idea in our head of what we think our life our lives should look like. And sometimes when our life fails to rise up to the occasion and meet that expectation, we put so much pressure on ourselves that we're doing something wrong or we're not where we we should be. And a lot of my episodes on this podcast this year are about just the timelines of life and that pressure and that feeling like we're falling behind, feeling like I have no clue what I'm doing and everyone else outside of me knows they have it together. I should be making six figures by now. I should be finished with medical school. I should be married. I should have kids. I should, I should, I should. And we just should on ourselves. (laughs) And it's so harmful. It's so not helpful. And um, I just finished my master's program in June. And instead of celebrating and feeling happy and accomplished, I use it as an excuse to beat up on myself and think, well, I should have been done when I was 24. If this didn't happen, then I would be here. If I didn't make this wrong decision, then I would finally be happy. I'd be successful. And the amount of regret and just resentment towards ourselves that that type of thinking creates, it holds us back. It stops us and blocks us from manifesting our goals, our dream life. And this next year, I'm just trying to learn to be okay with the in-between, with the middle part just not knowing and just letting go and seeing where life takes me and just releasing that control, that hold that we feel we need to have. And I wrote this poem because when I was 25, I thought I was going to move to Tennessee or move to Georgia, Texas, South Carolina, North Carolina, some type of Southern state. And I honestly, I really, really thought with my whole heart, I was meant to meet a Southern man because I had this, um, like sort of fetish, if I'm being honest, for country boys. Um, (laughs) And I thought I would meet a Southern man and we would hit it off. It'd be my dream relationship. I'd fall in love and we'd have this white picket fence and I would live in the countryside and live an easy life. And then I met Nick and Part of me didn't want to date him because I was like, no, I'm supposed to be with this type of person. I'm supposed to be here. And if I'm with him, then it will block me from getting there. And then I had to realize how delusional that sounded. And that's the end point for this poem. I had to let go of the life I thought was meant for me in order to accept the life that's actually mine. If we are constantly thinking about the past or dwelling on our past quote unquote mistakes or worrying about the future. We never live in the right now. We are never mindful. We are never here. And when we are not present, we do ourselves and others a huge disservice. That's all I have to say about that.
Okay, a couple more. Sometimes the hardest things for us to let go of are the things we never got the chance to actually have. Broken dreams. I think the reason I'm so afraid to fully love you is because the last time I truly deeply loved somebody, I almost didn't survive. So don't mind me that I can't help but not think of how good it could be because the last time I did, it almost killed me. Scared. So I think... I'll end it around here. Maybe we'll do one or two more, but that poem just talks about how afraid I was of giving my heart to someone again, because the last time I fully gave someone my heart, I felt like there was no coming back. And it is very scary. And it just speaks to my resistance and to my hesitation. But at the same time, if we're constantly shielding ourselves, if we build this wall up around our hearts, we can never let someone fully penetrate or permeate that wall and we'll never really know what it is like to have true love. So it's kind of like pick your poison. (laughs) I died when you left and even after all this time, I've been waiting for you to love me back to life. You're not coming back. Sometimes the most dangerous substance, the most addictive, deadliest drug, is another human being. Superstitious undertone. If I've learned anything, it's that if someone is the one, you won't have to force it. If someone is the one, you don't need to convince yourself, despite all outside evidence, which might make you question it. When someone is the one, there is no undertone of doubt. You're not superstitious. You just know. I hate to say it, but you're not it. I wrote that poem when Nick and I broke up. (laughs) Confined reputation. When I stay small, they tell me to put in more effort. When I say I feel ugly, they say you're beautiful, own it. But when I show it off, they tell me to take it down a notch if I want to keep my reputation. When I claim the right to my space, they tell me I'm giving off the wrong message, seeking too much validation from the outside world. But shit, can a woman feel good about herself and celebrate the way she looks without everyone attacking her, telling her who to be? Too much of one thing, too little of another. Not here to make everyone comfortable. And I will end it with this one last poem because it's kind of a... uh, It's sort of similar to the last one. Who am I controversial? And then I'll explain. I can't be who people want me to be, and I can't be myself either without making others feel threatened. You can't dislike yourself without people pitying you, but you can't like yourself without being controversial. Either way, I am judged, so who am I supposed to be? Nothing but a wallflower, I suppose. So those two poems very emotionally charged. I wrote that um, while Nick and I were breaking up because I had put a picture on Instagram. I did a Bajor photo shoot and I put a picture of myself in a bodysuit lingerie on my Instagram and my boyfriend and his family had a very negative reaction and I got offended and defensive and pissed off because I felt like I paid a lot of money and worked really hard for those photos and I was just celebrating myself and it made me come to think of all the times I've judged women for posting um, whether it's revealing or just sexy 
pictures and I thought they're just seeking validation. And then I had to kind of check myself and think, you know what? Sometimes you just feel good and you are like, fuck, I look good. And you just want to post the photo. Like, does the photo, does the outfit, does it always have to mean we're seeking gratification from the opposite sex or trying to get a raise or whatever people say? And I think sometimes, no, it's it's okay to be confident. It's okay to be proud of yourself. And it's okay to celebrate yourself, whatever that looks like for you. And it's not really our place to tell others, like the motivation behind their behavior because we don't know them we're not in their heads and it just kind of uh, those poems were speaking to the hypocrisy of it and just the double standard I think in the patriarchal misogynistic world that we live in so that's that um I will probably (laughs) do part three um for this because we're not going to get to all the poems. But again, I really thank you for listening. I hope I imposed some wisdom and life lessons I've learned through this process of healing and the journey to and from myself and what that means for me as a poet and in my writing. And I thank you so much for spending 30 minutes of your time with me. I really love and appreciate you. You can feel free to share, like, comment, rate, and subscribe if you enjoyed this podcast. And I will talk to you in the next episode. Take